Okay, good evening. We're coming for you live. Where are we here? Let's see, live. Okay, terrific. Sorry for that short delay. Uh, we were having some technical issues with the new setup. As you can see, we're really working hard here to give you a great product. And uh, we look forward to doing this for many more, uh, many more years to come. Anyways, I uh, want to first uh, put a shout out to all my, uh, my clients out there that are doing a crazy great job of uh, working for your associations tirelessly, um, taking all the calls, taking all the uh, complaints, taking everything that you do as a board member uh, as a result of uh, what's going on right now. I want to deal with a few things. I want to give you guys some updates that we have. I'm going to go over some topics. Um, so e, uh, uh, EO 20-52 was signed into uh, law on the 9th of April uh, of this, obviously of this year, and it's set to expire uh, 60 days from then, which is May 6th, uh, May 8th, pardon me. EO 20-82 and 20-86 deals with isolation and quarantine from tri-state areas and vacation air, uh, rentals, all of which are now due at this point, we understand it, to expire on May 8th. So what does that really mean to all of you? Um, I know I've been dealing with a few associations lately whose members uh, have challenged whether or not they are able to enforce these provisions uh, from out other states other than the tri-state area and vacation uh, rentals. So we'll take vacation rentals aside. Let's just deal with the tri-state areas. So certainly um, the issues with the tri-state areas, uh, Connecticut, um, uh, Boston area, uh, New Jersey, New York, the Northeast, um, there's no question that the governor of Florida has issued an order saying that anybody coming in, traveling from those areas must quarantine themselves. Also, Louisiana, I believe, has been added to it. The question is, what about other states? Uh, there are other states where it's growing, uh, unfortunately, the spread of the virus. And can you, as a board, make a decision to have those people quarantine themselves? And the answer to that is, and I'm looking at some further notes that I've done for myself here. The answer to that is absolutely you can. And you should, by the way, because it's very important that you require people traveling from out of state, coming into your associations to self-quarantine. Passing of this virus throughout your communities is, would really be just devastating. Devastating, first and foremost, for the welfare and health of all your members, um, those who are most at risk uh, with pre-existing conditions, those who are elderly um, and those who are frail, uh, really are affected horribly, horrifically by this virus. So you first and foremost need to protect their interests. The other one's a financial interest, obviously. With more and more people sick in your community where they can't function and can't either go to whatever jobs that they may still have or work from home and have that opportunity to do so, you're exposing your, your association to extreme financial hardship, which as of now, there is no remedy from the government. We'll get to that in a little bit, uh, but there is no assistance right now being contemplated for homeowners associations or condominiums. Um, vacation rentals. If you have Airbnbs, 
if you allow them. Uh, they are prohibited right now. Obviously, the governor doesn't want uh, this influx in and out of people who are not members of your association, who are not there uh, as part of your association on a more full-time basis and are more transient in nature because of the mere fact that those people can expose your community to uh, um, the corona, uh, COVID-19. I will say this. This is an excellent opportunity at this point especially for people who are violating in the first place your provisions of allowing an Airbnb, where you don't, in other words, and they still are are running an Airbnb. This is your absolute great opportunity to go ahead now and shut that down on two bases. One, obviously your documents, strong, excellent basis, very valid basis. And your second basis now would be the fact that the governor has issued an emergency order saying these are prohibited by law. So the, it's a twofold blow to anybody trying to run an Airbnb from their residence at your community and something that you should enforce. Now, let's talk about the government assistance. I've gotten this question a lot as well. You know, small businesses, individuals are all ab- available or able to get assistance from the government in terms of either loans or grants. What about me? I'm a homeowners association. I'm a condominium association. I'm an association here in South Florida. And we have more and more people uh, in a devastated financial position challenging their ability to pay for the association and their, uh, their assessments and any special assessments, any special products that are coming due. Answer for that is very simple. Very simple. There is none right now. Unfortunately, only a 501C is eligible for um, uh, assistance, the government aid assistance. Uh, a 501c3 is also available and able to get that. However, those are private charities or private foundations. An, uh, an association, homeowner or condo. When I say association, let's just from this point forward understand I'm talking about both unless I differentiate one or the other. So a, uh, an association is a 501c4. Those are not yet being provided with assistance, financial assistance or otherwise, from the government. And as such, um, unfortunately, you cannot get any type of grant. Let's even talk about what you would be able to get under these plans right now that are being uh, provided to uh, for small businesses, such as mine and such as uh, others in the, uh, in the state. You're basically being provided the salaries of your employees, as long as you haven't cut their salaries or terminated their jobs, because of COVID-19. So for an association to be granted that, you'd have to first have employees that are just yours. Now that may very well be. There are associations out there that do employ on-site managers, on-site maintenance personnel that are unique and specific for that association rather than coming from a management company and being uh, paid through by the management company. If it's the latter, you don't get any assistance whatsoever. You wouldn't have even been uh, eligible should you have considered it. If it's the former, then yes, potentially if they change it and make it for a 501c4, you would have the opportunity to then look for uh, assistance, government assistance. Again, right now, only 501c, 501c3s, uh, private charity or a private foundation are eligible uh, um, to apply for, for, for that grant. Finally, 
The other thing that you'd be able to pay for conceivably is the office itself in which your employees, again, yours, not the management, but your employees work out of. That doesn't mean the pool. That doesn't mean your tennis court, basketball court, uh, play gym area, meeting rooms. None of the other facilities on the association's property would be covered under this program and eligible for funding. So it's a very, very narrow uh, scope of what, what can happen. Now, there is talk potentially of legislation helping uh, the condominiums, the, the associations uh, with some financial aid. But again, you'd have to have your own employees. You'd have to have a facility in which they work in and only the cost of that facility would be covered by this. So what do you do? I had a client today ask me a great question. Said, Guy, what do we do? We wanna help people. People are hurting. We wanna help them. We want to uh, waive assessments for a month. We want to credit them towards a special assessment that they've already paid into. My answer to that is very simple, no. And the reason why is because we don't know at this time how far this is going to go. We don't know if there's going to be a second, a third wave. We don't know if the country is going to be shut down a second time on the basis that it may open hopefully relatively soon and the economy gets started. We don't know if a vaccine, more, more importantly, if a treatment will be available uh, sooner rather than later to let widespread economic uh, prosperity happen again. So when you have that, let's take twofold. Let's take first the uh, monies that you have in a special assessment that have yet to be used or potentially have been used and are not yet necessary for that same project. If you have that situation, well, certainly you can't use special assessment monies for a purpose other than what they were assessed for. That you know both by your documents and especially under chapters 718, 720, 719. Special assessments are just that. They're assessed for a particular project. So then let's say you say, guy, well, you know, we special assessed, we'll make up numbers, 100,000. Project ended up costing us 50,000. We have 50,000 left over. Well, you have two choices there. You can return that money because it's already been used, or you can earmark that money for a similar purpose, i.e., maintenance of whatever you just repaired or replaced going on now and in the future. Uh, why wouldn't you then put it back, you say? Let me give it back to these owners who paid for it. You have a few issues. First of all, you have owners that may have already left and they wouldn't be getting the money back. It would be persons who have now moved in instead of them. And more importantly, going back to what I said before, you don't know what the economy is gonna bring us later in this year. And if your association is indeed struggling and indeed needing money, to pay its bills, to pay its insurance, to pay its vendors, to pay for the maintenance and upkeep of its property, you wanna know that at some point, you have something to borrow against, to borrow from. You certainly do not wanna be in a position where you have no money and now you do have to special assess people for what you just gave them back. It makes no sense to me and you would be putting yourself in a worse position because those people who now have come back and said, oh great, thank you for giving us the money four months ago. We used it because we no longer have a job or our money was reduced or you know, money was tight even with our jobs, whatever the reason is, now we can't pay. Now you're, you're out of luck, association. Thank you so much for returning all that money that you could have spent to wade, the, wade this period out. Uh, the second option is that somebody suggested is waiving. 
I don't believe associations have the authority to waive assessments, okay? Assessments are uh, governed by the requirement to pay under your documents, under the statute, for the budgets that you have passed. If you waive that, you're not paying those budgets, and now you're going to be behind in whatever payment, whatever arrangement you have. So what do you do? I think this goes back, uh, and the best advice I can give you is it goes back to what we discussed a few video casts ago, where I said, just like any other financial hardship, you take this on a case-by-case basis. What I mean by that, if Guy has a financial problem with paying his association, he comes to you as the board and he says, here are the reasons, okay? Here's what I can do. Here's when I can do it. Here's how I can do it. Does that work for the board? Now, the board can consider waiving late fees and waiving interest. There's nothing wrong with that. I advocate that all the time if you do it uniformly and if it assists the association in making these collections and ensuring that the money is coming in and these people are being helped when it's for no other reason than financial difficulties such as now. So what I would suggest is that the board encourage its members to come, take a look, apply, say, look, here's the reason why, here's what we want to do about it, here's how we can pay it back, and here's when we can pay it back. Nothing wrong with doing so. I think that's a great way of addressing this, and I really encourage it because, one, the reality is not everybody's going to run right away to the board to try to make a case when they know that there's other people there in more dire circumstances, right? Not, somebody's not going to come and say, listen, my job was cut from $200,000 to $150,000, $175,000. I need help right now paying you. That would be a little ridiculous to some people. Right. On the other hand, those people who are making uh, substantially less and are being cut even more and perhaps are living paycheck to paycheck in your community would greatly benefit from that. Those are the people you want to be able to help. And those are the people you should take the consideration on. But again, that consideration needs to be measured by a set plan that is written up, signed by all parties and never, ever, ever. And I close my eyes why I say that. And the reason I close my eyes is because it's so important for you to recognize that this is, so, this is something that has to be in writing, that has to be memorialized, and that has to be signed to by each person, i.e. the association representative and the husband, wife, partners, whatever it may be, whoever it may be that owns that unit has to sign. All interested parties. And that way, when a month or two comes the line down the line, and there's monies to be collected and promises to be kept, you have a piece of paper to say, hey, you promised, you signed, I have to enforce it as the association for the health, welfare, and benefit of all of our members. Okay, what are we doing now about uh, both evictions and foreclosures? Um, there is a race now going on, and it's a race that you need to be aware of and you need to be prepared for. One of our jurisdictions in, I believe it is, North Central Florida, the chief judge did come out in that district, as I understand it, and say that the governor's order is being interpreted solely for mortgage foreclosures, not association foreclosures. Very important, very important distinction. Mortgage foreclosures doesn't bother the associations. It bothers, obviously, the lenders. Foreclosures for associations is what concerns us. Now, is that being followed by every jurisdiction? I can tell you that it is not. We don't know what jurisdiction will do what. 
We don't have other chief judge orders from those various jurisdictions. Of course, here in South Florida, we've got um, Palm Beach, uh, Palm Beach County, Broward, and Miami, all separate jurisdictions of circuit courts, all with certain uh, circuit court chief judges who can make these decisions and write these out, or they can leave it out for their own judges. So what I suggest you do is you continue in your process to collect and foreclose on all units that aren't paying. Remember, if you're doing it at this stage, this is for people who haven't paid months ago. HOA, you've got 45 and 45, 45 days for the demand letter, 45 days for the claim of lien. That's three months before you can even move forward with a foreclosure action. So these are not people who lost their jobs in March or April. These are people who haven't paid you for a lot, for a number of months, three months prior to now. So there shouldn't be, in my mind, a hesitation in moving on against them unless, of course, uh, they can show you some financial hardship. They're entering in a payment plan. They're doing something to show their good faith of trying to resolve this in something that could be adjudicated by a court of law, determined by a court of law, uh, an order held by a court of law if they violate that. So that's really important. Um, same thing with evictions that are non-monetary. I'll talk about monetary ones in a second, but non-monetary evictions. So violations uh, of, by your tenants, uh, maybe you have a guest in the residence that's violating it and you want to go after them, nothing precludes you from doing so. For those of you, and again, many of my clients in these in associations also have other businesses that they handle, so I'd love to give you some uh, advice or, well, some thoughts, right? We're not giving legal advice. We're giving thoughts. We're looking over things in, in a general sense. Um, uh, if you do need to do or to uh, move on an eviction, commercial or residential, there is a 45-day moratorium that started at the beginning of April. My suggestion is that you work with your counsel, whoever that may be, in making sure you dot your I's and you cross your T's to everything leading up to the actual filing, plus having the complaint itself ready. And when that 45 days are lifted, you immediately move and are ready to file. The same thing has to go with association foreclosures. If you try now, and you were told by your counsel, whether that's myself or someone else, that we tried, the judge says they are abiding by the moratorium issued by the court, uh, pardon me, by the uh, governor, then be ready to refile that at a later date and time when that 45 days are lifted. Very important to do so. Why? No court in the foreseeable future that we are aware of is going to have hearings where people are attending in person. So those days right now of going to a uniform motion calendar and sitting there and waiting 45 minutes, an hour to be called for a five, 10 minute hearing right now are not happening. Everything is being set either by a court call, which is a service that uh, you call in on different uh, numbers, obviously from your offices to the judge and the judge takes your call and makes his or her ruling at that time or reserves, or they're being done by Zoom or some other video uh, platform. Um, however, they are being scheduled on every single matter that's there, or sometimes the judge will rule on his or her own, but most of the time you've got to wait for a hearing to be set. And these hearings to be set are not happening immediately. So there is a delay and things are taking time to get set as a result of our new reality. So the sooner you act, 
the sooner your association or your board acts, the faster you can get your resolution for what you're looking for. Let me talk about uh, a couple uh, uh, other things right now. Um, what is an essential uh, what is an essential person or essential trade that your association needs to let in? Well, obviously medical profession, medical aid, assistance, uh, fire rescue, uh, uh, anything to do with the welfare and live and well-being of any of your members, their guests or invitees, you need to let in. Maintenance, air conditioning, you need to let in. Plumber, you need to let in. These are all what I consider to be essential trades or essential uh, uh, jobs and professions that should be allowed into your property to uh, deliver a product or do work for one of your guests, uh, pardon me, one of your owners or tenants. Um, deliveries of appliances, also very important. I put that question out there to uh, the uh, attorneys that practice in my area of the law. And it's a forum, it's like a board, if you will, of emails where everybody kind of discusses their feelings back and forth. And part of who makes up this group are not only attorneys who practice as condominium, homeowner, uh, association, co-op attorneys, but also real estate attorneys and people who do real estate work. And what they basically came up with is a mixture of what you can and can't do in their opinions. And these are always opinions. And why I say that is because the governor has put that a realtor, for instance, is an essential uh, business, is an essential, that person being a realtor is an essential uh, trade, a person who's, who should be able to practice his or her trade of being a realtor. But the governor doesn't define the extent of that, what that is, and what you do or do not have to allow. So, of course, those practitioners who believe that, uh, you know, this is an important uh, essential trade said, look, you've got to let these realtors into your building. They've got to be able to show properties. You know, people have to be able to buy and sell homes, condos, co-ops uh, as they need to because there could be emergencies that are going on. I absolutely agree with that. The question is, you have to make a showing of that. So, in other words, if I'm a person about to move, uh, you know, in the with that, I've got to expedite that. I've got to get going on that because if I don't sell it, I could be stuck with paying two mortgages, and that's not fair, obviously. But that's a circumstance where I can come to the board and say, "Listen, we're having a problem here. I've got to move to another state, another country. I've got to be able to sell my unit." That's different from, you know, what I've thought about it. Now is a nice time in the market to downsize or to upgrade. Let me sell my unit. I'm going to get something bigger, something smaller, whatever it may be. We're talking about now it's April 13th. The, state, the shelter at home, shelter in place lifts at the end of the month. Potentially, it goes on for another couple weeks to mid-May. The question is, do you need to sell your home in the next four to five or six weeks? Is it an emergency? Is it an imperative matter that has to be addressed now? If the answer is no, and you can't show that it is, then I think it's well within the association's right to say to your realtor and to yourself, and frankly, the owner, hey, we're not letting you in. We'll let you, we're not letting your realtor in. We can compromise. Your realtor can send in a video crew and do some type of video virtual showing of your property. Videotape it one time, people can see it, and that's it. 
if you have a hard offer with a deposit being put subject to one-time inspection of the property, we'll work with you on that. We do not want people coming in every day, forget weekends, right? Most real estate uh, realtors show real estate on the weekends. Right now, you're talking about uh, a good majority of our population who has nothing to do during the week other than shelter in place. So you're talking a potential large number of people who can say, you know what, I'll take a look, or it's something to do. And now all of a sudden you have showings throughout your buildings, your communities, where people are coming in and out. You don't know their health condition. You don't know if they have sheltered in place. You don't know if they're asymptomatic. You don't know if uh, somebody in their family has it, but they believe they can go outside and travel because they are not showing symptoms yet. There's so much you don't know that you are exposing your community to. So I believe, again, when you look at your powers, your emergency powers, and the health, welfare, and safety that you have are responsible for to a degree, obviously I'm not saying that it's all on you as boards, but to a degree, you can use that to tell that realtor and to tell that owner that unless it's an emergency, unless you can show me that you are moving to another location in the next month and need to sell this property, you can wait until the stay at, uh, uh, is lifted, the emergency order is lifted. Once that emergency order is lifted, associations will lose these emergency powers that they have, and it'll be a little more difficult. It's still possible, and we'll talk about that another day, but it will be more difficult to enforce these types of limitations. So what I suggest is that once, uh, that you tell them that once it's lifted, you have free reign. If you wanna do it now, during this time, then what's going to happen is you're going to have to limit you yourself to, again, one time with a videographer to take a virtual tour of the property. And after that, showing us that you have a bona fide offer. Somebody was put down a 5%, 10%, whatever your contract shows, which you'd have to show the contract to the board, uh, offer on the property subject only to a one-time inspection. They'd have to do that inspection with whoever it is that's going to come and you know, look at the outlets, look at the, uh, the inspector himself or herself, look at the outlets, the AC, whatever they want to check. This is obviously more loosely based on HOAs than it, are, than it is condos. Condos, because of the living conditions of being you know, shared hallways, shared elevators, shared stairwells, shared lobbies, um, uh, there you want to protect your members as much as possible and use your authority for their benefit, even though some don't see that as much as possible. Homeowners, you're really talking about uh, situations where you simply don't want so much traffic coming in and out and people walking around in close proximity violating the, uh, uh, the six feet social distancing. So you don't want to get that where people are looking around going, wow, everybody's going over to that house. People are going in and out and you could be spreading it to that house who can be spreading it to other homes in the community. All of this is about sane, good judgment. And yes, we are probably all a little bit insane during this period of time, but we need to really think about what we're doing. We need to put a practical spin on this and look to see what's good and what's not for our community as a whole. I, I hesitate to say it, but there's so many of your members who are just waiting to give you the better advice, the better guidance, because somehow they think that it exists with them and not with you. I would answer you by saying, listen, 
Tell your members that you're looking for their input and genuinely listen to what they say. But ultimately, the buck stops with the board. And when you take these actions, I want you to be real clear. You are protected both by an indemnification clause in your covenants. And what that means is that as long as you're acting with good reason and good faith under your documents and not doing something that's self-serving, that you benefit financially from, or that is illegal, the association covers you for any potential damage case or lawsuit filed against you by any of the homeowners in the community or anybody else whatsoever who thinks they would have some type of standing to sue you as a member of the board of directors. You're covered there. You're covered by the association's insurance. Most importantly, courts really look at you as board members and say, hey, if these people aren't doing something illegal, then they're volunteering, volunteering their time, their effort, not paid positions. They should be covered, and it should be very difficult to sue them individually. And the courts look and say, did they use their best business judgment reasonable business judgment to make these decisions. And more often than not, other than those caveats, the courts find in your favor and the equities are with the association and their boards rather than the people making these complaints and arguing that in a time of pandemic where I'm not moving anywhere other than down the street or to another county nearby or to another community nearby, either downsizing or upsizing, but for no reason other than I think it's a good time, they should be able to put your community in harm's way. I want to touch base real quick on what I'm going to be doing in the upcoming weeks. Um, obviously, I will update you every time there is something new about the uh, virus, about how it affects your communities, your governance. I will always bring to your attention interesting things that I've had with other communities that I represent that can play a part in yours that you haven't thought of or you haven't called me or maybe you're not my client and you're looking at it from a different perspective and want to talk about it with your own attorney. Uh, the other thing I'm going to go into is I'm going to start telling you about cases, cases that are being uh, um, uh, issued orders on that affect your associations, either homeowners, condos, or co-ops, or all three together. Uh, I want to go over those with you, explain what they mean. There's a recent case on transfer fees um, and transfer rights. I'm going to go in there on a new podcast. We're already at a half hour. I really try to keep mine uh, under a half hour. I, I don't want anybody to get too bored. I also want to tell you about developments. Um, I'm going to do this again in a new in a new podcast uh, and a video cast this week, um, where I'm going to be talking about the potential where they're looking at. Um, transferring the mandatory arbitration provisions in condos and making it a mandatory mediation similar to homeowners associations. I will tell you that I have a condominium association that asked me to amend their documents to require the mandatory mediation section as a homeowners association under Chapter 720. And so far, it's worked pretty well. It hasn't been challenged. I think it's valid, but until the judge tells you one way or the other, it's, it's your best guess, your best legal guess, and I think we're fine on it. And it looks like from what is uh, about to happen with the division of land, uh, the legislature with the division of land sales, that may be slowly eliminated uh, with uh, arbitration issues, challenging issues with uh, the association's 
both from the association to the owner and vice versa, and going to the mandatory mediation format of a homeowners association and thereafter court. I will go into all of these topics later in the week and we'll do so on a weekly basis. I'm working on a uh, more rigid, rigid standard, or not rigid if you will, but a more uh, basis of let's talk about this, this and that on each one of my video casts and podcasts. So I'm going to let, I'm going to welcome you to come and join me on that. I'm not always going to talk about uh, the grim COVID-19, uh, COVID nor am I going to talk about um, what you can do or not do unless it's something different than what we've talked about in the past. I really want to get into new things that are affecting uh, homeowners and condos going forward um, and other topics that you may be interested in. So what I will do is I will continue doing my emails, but I'm also going to start uh, blasting on Twitter. So you can find me uh, at uh, Sheer Law Group is our Twitter handle. I'm going to start announcing when we're going to do either a podcast or a video cast and let you know that and what the topics are so you can follow. Again, it's at Sheer Law Group. I uh, highly uh, hope that you will go and register on that as a fo and follow me on that. And I'll give you updates as well as subscribe to my channel, ring the bell. And uh, I thank you so much. I, I don't see any questions. If there are, I'd like to open up for any questions uh, that we may have. Uh, before I shut down for the night. Hope it's been informative. Hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. I take real great pleasure in doing this. Uh, I'm hoping I'm contributing something more than you knew or, or didn't know today, or if you knew it, that it helped you even more than that. I appreciate that. Very nice of you guys to make comments like that. Thank you so much to everyone. Have a wonderful night. Be safe, be good. And again, if you have any questions outside of this format, tweet me. I'll answer it right away if I can, uh, or as soon as possible. Uh, again, I appreciate everybody's time. Uh, please follow me, and uh, God bless, and be safe to everyone and your families. Good night.